Thank you, Sarah. You probably noticed that that's the same uh, Bible reading that we had last week, and that's Deliver It. And because uh, this really is part two of the same message, and uh, it also is a good a good passage for us to understand. And uh, so we're going to focus on some of the things that God says in this passage. I uh, am eternally thankful for the Word of God and thankful for the Holy Spirit and His leading. I'm thankful that we don't need to do this life on our own, that He's with us. Jesus promised. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, I'm sending you a helper who will always be with you. And part of the deal of the new covenant is that we can be led by the Holy Spirit. Yes. So this series, uh, How I Can Know the Will of God, we will be laying down some foundations for a few weeks, but we will, uh, we will uh, progress really in the next couple of weeks or in a few weeks to how to hear the voice of the Spirit, how to be led, how to be led by your own spirit, the Holy Spirit, and uh, move on to a few things. But we're laying down a foundation. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet who lived 600 years before Christ. This is the longest book in the Bible. Jeremiah, verse by verse, it's the longest book in the Bible, word by word. And he was a prophet. They call him the wailing prophet. It's a bit unfair, though he did write Lamentations, which is a bit of a, a bit of a wail. And, uh, um, as opposed to Jonah, who was also a whale prophet, <laughs> nevertheless. And uh, it's probably better to see he was a persistent prophet and he ministered between 47, 43 and 47 years. He had, we understand, we think two converts in that time or two followers. There may have been a third depending on how you read it. And so, uh, um, but his, his legacy endured. And so this passage that we read now is the passage which which a, a young lad by the name of Daniel, 70 years later, read. So that's a word of encouragement for you and for us, is that when we're in the will of God, what we do lasts for eternity and it endures us. Yeah. And so this encouraging word Daniel picked up and then he, he went on from there through the Holy Spirit. So a couple of things we can learn from here, which we touched on last week, is that it doesn't matter how about how bad you're stuffed up, messed up, God still has a plan for you and it's for good. Yes. So these uh, children of Israel who were exiled into Babylon had been doing some horrific things. And uh, besides just worshipping other gods, they were involved in all sorts of sexual immorality and horrible things where they were, many of them were even offering their own children as living as sacrifices. Uh, at uh, altars of Baal, and hence they got they uh, the Lord allowed them to be to be uh, uh, deported or exiled into Babylon. And even though that's very sad, the encouraging message for us is: no matter how bad we have messed up, God has not given up on us. Right. Isn't that an encouraging word? Yes, it is. And in fact, even when we are suffering. The consequences of our foolishness God will still want us to prosper and so he says to them he says when you're in Babylon you're going to be there for a time I believe probably God wanted a generation or two to pass before he brought them back 
And then he said, but, but while you're in there, you're still my children. You're still in covenant to me. The blessings which I promised Abraham can still apply to you and you can still walk in them. Yeah. And that is a redemptive word, guys. That is a word we can grab hold no matter where we've gone, where we've been. God still has a plan for good for us. Praise God. So I want to just focus on uh, these particular verses in from verse um, verse 12. Well, we'll start in verse 11. It says, I know the plans I have for you. This is everyone's favorite verse, isn't it? Yeah. Right, everyone's got that. You got it written. Is that on the back of anyone's toilet in here? It, it should be, all right? On the back of your bathroom or, you know, you put on one of those overhead projectors at the end of the night so you can wake up. I know the plans I have for you. I, I know the plans I have for you. Is this the Lord's prophecy? Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. When you're down, when you're out, when you think all's lost, you can claim that. Yeah, that's right. God's plan for me is still good. Yeah, it's for hope. Yes. It's to give me a future yeah. and a hope. Now, we're talking about how to know the will of God. And so uh, the Holy Spirit through Jeremiah, he says this. He says, you will call to me. Come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search with me with all, my, with all your heart. Yeah. Now, uh, Jeremiah really is, is predicting or prophesying the future covenant. He does, uh, he makes uh, other allusions in Jeremiah uh, 31 and 32, where he says... Uh, this one is not like the covenant I'll make with their ancestors on the day I took them out of the land. He's talking about a new covenant. I led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even when I, even though I am their master, the Lord said. Instead, this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel. I will put my teaching within them and I'll write on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people. No, long, no longer will anyone teach his brother and saying, know the Lord, for they will know me from the least to the greatest. So uh, Jeremiah is prophesying or predicting a time that will come, uh, what can we come, a time that will come when people will, their hearts will be turned to God. Now, the Old Testament uh, heart was not born again. It was not a new creation. It was not soft towards God. And so how you find the will of God in the Old Testament is very different to how you will know the will of God under the new covenant. I like to think that Jesus didn't go through all the trouble of coming to earth, being crucified, rising from the dead, having the temple rent so that we can come into the presence of God so the Holy Spirit can dwell within us for us to be led exactly the same way as they were under the old covenant and it's important to remember that because a lot of what we see going on often in the church are quite old testament views of how the lord works the ministry of the prophet is very different under the new covenant the ministry of prophecy is very different under the new covenant because in fact it's saying there you don't that you won't look to other people to give you guidance i will speak to your heart And then he gives some conditions. You will seek me and you, and you will find me. And some translations say, if you seek me with all your heart. And they're slightly different words because the, the reason we read from the 
Christian standard this morning was that it says, you will seek me, you will find me, if you search for me with all your heart. A couple points. One, the seeking, it really is for direction. You will ask questions of me. And you will find the answer in me if you search for me with all your heart. And so he's addressing a heart issue and very much one of the the main preconditions of being led under the new covenant is the condition of our heart or our inner man, our inner person, our spirit. So he's saying, you will ask me questions and you will find the answers in me if you seek me with all your heart. So if you search for me, you will find me. And in finding me, coming to know me personally, you will find the answers to your questions. So in Romans 8, uh, Romans 8, 20, um, Romans 8, 14 to 16, it says this, it says, as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God or the children of God. The children, another way of saying that is the children of God all can be expect, all can expect to be led by the Spirit of God. That's you, that's me. We're children of God. We can expect to be led by the Spirit of God. When the Bible says, and then it says in verse 16, it says, for as many, for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit uh, in this most essential area of guidance that we are children of God, then that is, and it proves to be in the Scriptures, the main way, the number one way, the essential way, the foundational way that God will lead you. There are other ways, and, and there, there are words, and there's discerning of spirits, all those sorts of things, but all those are built on this foundation of the Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Yeah. So the condition of your heart is very important, and knowing the condition of your heart. Um, so uh, Jeremiah, the Holy Spirit through Jeremiah, he says, you'll, you'll seek me and you'll find me if you seek me with all of your heart. Uh, Paul through Romans says that without, so when it says spirit, that's really your heart, okay? Understand that when the, when the scriptures, especially the New Testament, talk about spirit, it's talking about the condition of your heart. So it's our heart for which the Holy Spirit will lead. And Jeremiah is addressing the condition of your heart, Jeremiah 29, and then in 31 again, right? I will give them a new heart. So the condition of our heart, that's our spirit person is one of the foundational, uh, essential understandings and realities which will help us hear and know the voice of God. So uh, you could say that the Holy Spirit is saying in Jeremiah, if you do not seek me with all your heart, you will not get the answers to what you're looking for. If you do not seek me with all your heart, you won't be led. All right. Uh, if you if your if your heart really isn't after coming, getting to know me, getting to know uh, my covenant, getting to know me through the Holy Spirit, you're not going to get the answers to life's questions. So 
the, uh, the understanding that we have here is that we have to focus or come to an understanding of the condition of our heart. It's a lot like, um, I had a friend, um, I had a friend uh, in high school, his name's Glenn, and uh, I mentioned his name because I'll Facebook him after this and say that you rated a mention in the sermon. And uh, I was at high school in Tari, which is on the mid north coast of New South Wales. I finished my year 9, 10, 11 there. And uh, in their backyard, they had this huge uh, shortwave antenna. And they were a radio enthusiasts. And this antenna would have been probably the height of this building. It was humongous, at least three stories. And, uh, you know, it was so powerful that rumor has it that the neighbors could just bring their fry pan over with bacon <laughs> and fry their bacon next to this antenna, you know. And, uh, but no matter how powerful it was, if it wasn't tuned, to the right station, they would not get any signal. We uh, we lived uh, in a bit of a shadow uh, on Aruna on Aruna Hill, and we uh, we leased our house out for a few months before we were, before we moved up here full time. And the the tenants were were concerned about the TV reception, so we paid for a, a new aerial to be erected and to go up. And, to, and it had to be turned so that the aerial expert had to come in. What do you call an aerial expert? An aerialist? An antennaist? <laughs> but he had to come and he had to get someone down there with the TV and he'd go, okay, and turn it, and turn it to face because they wanted the Brisbane stations and turn to face so I picked up the Brisbane stations. Well, our spirit is like that. If our spirit is not tuned to God, we will not hear God. Yeah. That doesn't mean, so with this shortwave antenna that Glenn had, the stations were always broadcasting. But until it was fine-tuned to hear God, they didn't get the signal. The Brisbane television stations were always broadcasting. But until that antenna was turned to face them, uh, we didn't get the reception. Well, the scriptures say here that our heart is our antenna. The spirit of man, it says in Proverbs, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Lighting his path. The spirit, my spirit, is how the Lord gives light to me. And Jeremiah, the Holy Spirit said to Jeremiah, through Jeremiah, you can, you're going to ask me questions, but unless your heart is tuned towards me, you're going to hear nothing. Now, you do see uh, memes and, and some articles, and some are good and some are mean, and you say, what, what do we do when God is silent? I don't think God's ever silent. In fact, he said, I will never leave you. Yeah. I will always be with you. Yeah. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to lead you and show you. But we'll see from Scripture this morning that if, that if our heart is not good towards God, and we'll, we'll talk about what that means because I'm not talking about self-righteousness, then we won't be able to hear his leading. If our heart isn't focused right towards God, God can be talking to us uh, the scriptures are talking to us, but we will not pick it up. We may even get it here, 
but we won't get it here. And who knows that? Who knows those uh, Bible scholars and they can tout off all these things and, you know, um, and yet they just never had, they don't seem to have that in their heart. Proverbs says, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, lighting his path, searching. So what does it mean to have, uh, to have a heart which seeks God? Turn with me, please, um, to John chapter 7. We're going to identify a few things. Uh, one, or two, one thing that Jesus said, and then we're going to talk about David and Saul, and then talk about ourselves. So in John chapter 7, the Pharisees and the Jews are asking Jesus about, about his, um, his teaching. And then in verse 17, well, we'll go back to verse 15. It says, the Jews were amazed at his teaching, and they said, how is this person so learned since he has not been trained? Well, that's an interesting uh, expression in itself because Jesus was obviously sharing very, uh, uh, very essential and foundational and revelatory truths, and yet he didn't have the academic training of the Pharisees. So I said, how does he know these things when he hasn't been trained? And Jesus answered and he said, my teaching is not mine, it's from the one who sent me. And then he says this, if anyone wants to do his will, he will know that my teaching is from God. Yep. Another way of saying that is if, if you want to do God's will, you will know God's will. That's He's saying anyone who is willing to do the Father's will will know and understand the will of the Father. Now that's an interesting statement. So the Holy Spirit in Jeremiah says that if you, if you are seeking to be led, if you've got questions of me and you seek me with all your heart, you will be found in me and you will have those answers. And then Jesus said to the Pharisees, it, it, or to the Jews, he said, if you honestly want to do what God wants you to do, if you want this to change your life, if you're generally seeking to know, not just for intellectual reasons, not just for showcase, but because you want to do God's will, then you will know what God's will is. Now, that is a wonderful promise. That is a wonderful statement. So perhaps when God is being quiet, we need to ask ourselves some questions. Let's turn uh, to um, Acts 13, and there's a little statement about uh, David in here. Acts 13, and then we'll go and we'll just talk about David and uh, Saul. Acts 13, uh, 13 and verse 21, and this is Paul's sermon in Antioch. And he says, um, they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul. That's just an interesting statement in itself, because 
in Samuel, the prophet said, God told the prophet Samuel that to tell them that I, you know, I never wanted you to have a king. And yet God allowed them to have a king and he warned them as to what the kings would be like. And, you know, the kings were like that. Um, which tells me a few things. It says we can uh, insist of God for our way and God will allow us to have our way. But it will never be the fullness of what God has for you. And it can even look good, sound good. You can have look like a real religious intent and it may even be well-meaning. And God will allow us to take that path, but it will never be perfect. And so, as you know, God got Samuel to anoint Saul. They asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who for 40 years ruled them for 40 years. After he, moved, he removed them, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I found David, the son of Jesse, to be a man after my own heart. Now, interesting expression, a man after my own heart. Probably a, a better way of saying that is a man who wants to know my heart. A man who seeks to know what my will is. A man who wants to draw down from my heart. The implication being that Saul, who was eventually rejected after I think 43 years he was a king, the king, uh, Saul drew down from his own desires. David wanted to know the heart of God. And then it says this, who will carry out my will. Now some translations say, who will be obedient. Now that lines up exactly, very closely with what Jesus said. He said, if you want to know the will of God and you want to do it, it will be revealed to you. So the first question we need to rightly ask ourselves, and remember we are born again, our heart is born again, we are made righteous. This is not a matter of, of coming from a sinful position or I'm not worthy. But then deep down we need to ask ourselves, if I want to know the will of God, do I want to do it? Because if you don't actually want to do it, God is not going to show you as a general rule. And so David was known uh, as someone who, who had a heart after God or God's heart. He wanted to know God's heart in and, and that is the relationship that God wants with us. It's like any good relationship, a good love relationship. You will want to know what that person wants, what that person needs, and that's what you'll want to provide for them. So God is promising that if we, when we ask him, we're sincere. We want to know God's will because we want to do it. Of course, we want to get out of trouble. Not because we want to cover our butts. Not because we're stuffed up again and we know that he's, you know, God's covered our backside yet again. But we want to just keep the same pride and the same arrogance, but we just want to get out of this situation. No. Because we want to know and we want to do the will of God. Now, Saul uh, is the example, really, of the carnal man, uh, David, and he's really an example of an unregenerated human spirit, someone who really perhaps 
uh, believes in God, definitely, but wants to work out their life according to their will. David is the example of someone who is born again and wants to know the heart of God because they want to serve God. Now Saul, we know, uh, got himself in a lot of trouble. He was anointed by Samuel, and he was a large guy. I think it said he was head and shoulders above the people around him, and he was a very good leader. He was a natural leader, and he inspired uh, Israel. He inspired the soldiers, and he had some good victories. But really, when you look at his life and the victories he had, it was almost religion and faith and his belief in God was like a show. It was like a pretense. It was like something for him to use to look good. And, and so he, he, he treated God like he was a commodity. Now that would never happen in our day and age, would it? To treat God like I've just lived my own life, but Lord, I'm sick, you know, heal me. Or, or, you know, I, 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 you know, I'm in a bit of trouble, Lord, at work, you know, and I've lived, you know, Lord, you, that would never treat God like a commodity. But Saul treated God like a commodity. And he treated the call on his life like a commodity, something to achieve his own self-will and his own self-image. And so when it was appropriate to ask Samuel for guidance, and, and, and uh, he got Samuel's guidance from Samuel, but when Samuel was late one day, he said, well, I'm just going to take up, step into the into the prophet's office and just do it myself. So he sought God for his own direction. Then he acted on that himself. And he achieved some great things. Who knows that you'll achieve some good things in life if you work hard, strive hard. If you apply the, all the principles from Proverbs in your life, you'll, you'll, you'll do pretty well. But it's not what God has for you. And it's not the best for you. And when you die, it'll be burnt up. <laughs> Some of us are going to, you know, by the grace, I love what Paul, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, I'm the least of the, I'm the, least of the apostles because I persecuted the church, but, but I am who I am by the grace of God. Yeah. I am who I am by the grace of God. Yeah. And that's what we're going to take into, into eternity with us, what we do according to his will in his strength. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, Saul achieved wonderful things. And you know, he, he made appropriate offerings here and there, and then and then when Samuel finally came, he said, Oh, I might as well talk to you now. And Samuel said, Well, why did you make an offering when I wasn't here? He said, Yeah, well, you were late. I've got God's work to do. You ever, ever been in that situation where you thought, well, you know, I know how to do God's will better than God does. Now you would never say that, but in practice, that's what you believe in. Sometimes I've found I'm finding more and more. Much to relief of Linda and people who know me in ministry, that the less I stick my nose in things which aren't my calling, somehow the more God works. <laughs> That's what I was laughing. You know, he's exactly what I'm talking about. He's put up with me all these years. <laughs> but Saul was like that because he really didn't want to, he was, yeah, God was there. To, even after one battle, after one battle, it says, and and Saul went and made himself a pillar to say how good he was. Saul made a memorial, memorial for himself. I shrink sometimes, and you hear it all the time in the church, and I've heard pastors say, well, you know, we, I want to leave a legacy. 
I want to be remembered when I go. And well, I mean, that sounds good, but really, isn't that just like Saul's pillar that he built to himself? Now you will leave a legacy if an eternal legacy with rewards in heaven, if like Jeremiah, you serve him faithfully and your heart's after God. But, uh, you know, Saul eventually did all these battles and it, it came to naught. It even had his son turning against him, Jonathan. And, uh, and in the end, after 43 years, it's interesting, he, he pretended, he tried to repent. He tried to repent. But he never dealt with those issues of his own self-will, his own self-righteousness. I know better. You know, it sounds really funny when we say, I know better than God, but when we really examine our attitudes, yeah. that's what it is. That's true. That's what it is. In, in, um, in the courts, I like watching, you know, little videos and court case movies and all that sort of stuff. Well, there's an expression in the courts that, that is the fruit of a poisoned tree. You heard that expression? The fruit of a poison tree. Has anyone heard that expression? Yeah. Good, so I can make it up. Oh, no, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and what they do, basically, if this evidence was obtained illegally, you can't use it in court. All right? Well, guidance and hearing from God is a little bit like that. Because if we've deliberately walked against his will, knowingly walked in self-righteousness, and we don't go back and actually repent of that, we won't be hearing God's will for us. We may think we are. We may have warm and fuzzies on the inside. But in fact, all that is, is your spirit has become callous to the Holy Spirit. And we have to be, to be sure and to deliberately examine ourselves as to what got us in this situation. Paul said, judge, the Holy Spirit said through Paul, judge yourself lest you be judged. Now you, you will die and if you're born again and you still believe in God, you'll, you'll get to heaven, that's fine. But you'll get to heaven smelling like smoke. Everything around you burns down. And Saul never repented of his self-righteousness, his self-reliance. So even though he tried to offer sacrifices, God in the end said, Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. The sacrifices, us pretending to be religious, us coming to church now. Don't stop coming to church. <laughs> but us pretending to be religious, uh, coming to church and doing all these religious things, and it won't, it, it, it's still the fruit of a poison tree if you have this self-righteousness, self-reliance, and you really don't care what God's will is for your life. Because he has a will for you, and it's good. And it's to prosper you. Amen. And it's to do it with him as your Lord. Yeah. So it's said of David that he had a heart after God. And it's really interesting to look at David's heart. We'll, we'll examine it in a minute. But I just want to give you a little 
illustration. When we, uh, when we were, it's 20 something years ago now, we were at Bible College in Tulsa and we'd finished the first year. I was worn out because uh, we were down to last few hundred dollars, which wouldn't even pay that month's rent. And uh, though I think actually our rent was $200 a month, yeah, $200 US. And um, back then, $200 US, you could buy a house, a car, and still enough to, <laughs> to fill up your superannuation. <laughs> but, um, and uh, I said to, to Linda, I said one night, now it was, I must have had that night off because it was the night of the graduation. We had friends that were in second year that were graduating. So I said, um, you know, we're, we're, I'm just going to go and visit that graduation and then I think, you know, we're going to go home. And I was just tired. You, you get that, you know, you're, you know, you're struggling and you're just tired. You're tired of standing. And Linda said to me, look at shit me. <laughs> you know, wisdom. I had a prophecy over me a few years ago, listen to your wife. I don't know. I don't know whether that's God or not. What do you think? Yes. <laughs> and she and Linda said to me, well, I believe, I believe it's God's will for us to stay two years. But if you want to go, of course, I'll come with you. So I hopped in our car and I, I headed towards the, um, I headed towards the, uh, the graduation ceremony, which is down in the middle of Tulsa. And I just had this feeling inside of me that I was doing the wrong thing. And I had to make an adjustment driving down Route 66. I had to make an adjustment. Was I going to ask God what he wanted for me to do? Because if I asked him what he wanted me to do, that might mean it being very uncomfortable because it would have been a lot more comfortable coming back to Australia. And I prayed, I remember praying, asking him, what is it that you want me to do? And I just sat quietly and said, you're to stay. So I pulled off Route 66, ran around that, came back, I got back to, I got back to Linda's, um, Linda was at home. She said, you're back early. <laughs> I said, God wants us to stay. And she had a very humble look at her face. Now me, I would have smirked. <laughs> I would have had the I told you so look. But she was very gracious to me. And God's story of provision that year, I told you a few times, I'll share it again. It was just so good. But if you honestly want to do the will of God, he will show you his will. Yeah, right. yeah. He will show you his will. Would you turn just quickly with me, please, to Psalm 139, I want to show you. Just keep playing, that's nice. Psalm 139, and we'll have a look at this attitude that David had, which is the attitude that we need to have. Acts tells us we're going to have an attitude like this. Psalm 139. There, that'll do. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. That thoughts means thoughts that are nervous, thoughts that are unsettled, thoughts that aren't settled on you. Search me, O God, and know my way. See if there be any hurtful way of me. And then it says, lead me in the ways of everlasting life. Now just note that. Note that, like we, 
is we often quote search me God and know my heart now our, our hearts we, we are born again we're made righteous but what are our inner fears what are our inner thoughts what are our inner motives and David says search me and know my heart know see if there be any anxious or doubtful ways or ways in which I'm relying on myself and not on you or ways in which I'm looking for my will and not will you you will search me and know my ways and then it says and then lead me in ever in the paths of everlasting life. Jesus said, for those who want to do the will of God, they will know the will of God. And then we'll look at Psalm 32. This is a beautiful psalm. We are talking about how I can know the will of God. And last week and this week, we've been looking at our condition and we've been looking about fine-tuning our hearts so that we can hear from Him. Psalm 32, how joyful it is those whose transgressions are forgiven. How joyful it is those who know their transgressions are forgiven. How joyful it is. How joyful it is. It's joyful. And David, you know, say David, you know, we know one of his big sins was he committed adultery. Most theologians believe he raped her. How joyful it is to know your sins and transgressions are forgiven. How joyful is the person in whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and in whose spirit, in their heart, they're honest. Sometimes in the mornings when I pray in the mornings, often I'll say, Lord, you know me, because I, I know you know I know my thoughts have wandered during the day. And I say, Lord, you know me, you know my thoughts, you know my heart. I say, God, I'm forgiven. In whom that spirit there's no deceit. When I kept silent. When I didn't address the issues in my heart, my bones were brittle from groaning all day long. From day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was drained in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. Now understand, we are made righteous, right? However, we do need to take an honest look at the condition of our hearts and our thoughts if we want to be led. He says this, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not conceal my iniquity. And I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave me the guilt of my sin, Selah. Stop there. Think about that. Think about that. He's forgiven us. Therefore, let everyone who is faithful pray to you immediately. For in the emergency, when the floodwaters come, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with joyful shouts of deliverance. And then it turns to God speaking back to David. He says, I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give you counsel. Rhetorical question. Who wants to know the will of God for your life? Why? Is it just so you can just keep, we can just keep going? 
with self-deception and live the religious life. Because if we do, we're not going to find it. We'll be self-deceived. But is it because God's got a plan for you? You're forgiven. His plan is for good. You want to know His heart for you. Because if that's why we're asking Him, then He will be us. Let's pray. And you can start singing my Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you, Father, your plans for us are good, not for evil. Father, we turn our hearts to you this morning. Thank you for forgiving forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that we can have your heart and know your heart and your will for us. In Jesus' name, people said.